This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode number 90 of Bleeding Blue and the New York football giants just lost a very miserable game by a score of 37 to 18. So um, that's my intro. Without further ado, let's bleed blue. David, no music today because we are sad. We are we are very sad. We are. I, I mean, I'm I'm not upset. I'm just sad. And more more of the same things were happening kind of today that have been problems for a little while, but they, today it just came in a different form because we weren't down by multiple scores early in the game. How are you doing right now? Tell us your headspace. Bad. Very, very bad. Justin, you you wanted to record. I didn't think I was ready. I'm still not sure that I'm ready. And it's and people are gonna say, well, you just you just need to temper your expectations for this team and you won't get as upset. First of no, all, people the, people aren't going to say that. I'm going to say that. I don't no, think no, that's been there, widely there said. Lot, there are there are a lot of there are a lot of um, fair minded fans who believe that, and I and I get that to an extent. I do understand. And, and you're right. When the team is you know two and thirteen, and it's like the last game of the season, I can you can kind of throw your hands up in the air and you say, oh whatever. I don't think this team's making the playoffs, even if they had one tonight. You know this, that that's not the point. What irritates me and what gets me going so much is when you see opportunities throughout the game in which you can capitalize, in which X, Y, or Z has to go correctly, and it almost feels like a conscious effort on the side of whether it be X, Y, or Z to continue to hold this team back from succeeding, just to really you know, just to get right into it. Pat Shermer's play calling in the second half was abysmal. Um, I, and and I'm shocked I haven't seen more people already calling for Pat Shermer after that because more so than what game what game were, we, were people really calling for Shermer? Was it Arizona? I think it was Arizona. I would say more Minnesota. More, it, was the, it, was the, it, was, it was those two weeks for sure. More so than then, that first, that first half – Offense looked decent. They had back-to-back drives that that really they did some nice things. Had you, you had a lot of the RPO going. Daniel Jones is running the ball effectively. You couldn't get Saquon going, but he's finding open guys. You, you're putting you, you're consistently getting yourselves in, in in positive situations. You can't punch the ball. You you just can't punch the ball in the red zone. And to me, red zone efficiency comes down to coaching. It comes down to to the creativity of your offense because you're in, you're in limited space. You need to be creative. You can't just keep banging your head against the wall and seeing what happens. And that's consistently what they did. What they did that first touchdown that they scored where they had a 10 play drive, 51 yards, took a total of five minutes. It, it was, it was great. 
they really did answer the call after the Cowboys missed that field goal. They answered the call. They had a really nice sustainable drive. And what they did in the red zone, David, is they stacked up Golden Tate and Cody Latimer together. It was 11 personnel. And what they did is I one of them was behind the other. They were almost lining up right behind, right? One was right in front, one was right behind. And they ran a pick play that you see work so much and so often in today's NFL. Very creative. You feel great. You feel good. Then the next drive, the Cowboys fumble. The first drive of the second quarter, six plays. They're driving. They fumble. Jabril Peppers has a great play, forces that fumble. Then the Giants aren't able to punch it in. They have a 12-play, 68-yard drive that takes over six minutes. And unfortunately, they can't punch it into the red zone, um, which includes um, some runs by Saquon Barkley that did not go anywhere in the red zone. And you look at you look at last week, too. Look at the Lions game. But you had one touchdown in meaningful, in, in meaningful play. That was at the one-yard line. It was to Evan Ingram. He was wide open. Today, you have one touchdown of meaning. One touchdown at all. Well, good. Yeah, good point. Good that point. was the only touchdown they scored in the game. And it, it's to Cody Latimer, and Cody Latimer is essentially wide open. So something in those two plays creatively worked. It confused the defense, and you out-schemed the opposing defense. We get one of those a game. That's just not enough. This team's just not good enough. And Daniel Jones is not the point he's going to be able to make up for lackluster play calling. It's just where we are. Saquon Barkley is not at 100%. He can't make up for lackluster play calling. The offensive line's not good enough to make up for lackluster play calling. It needs to change. Because Daniel Jones going into year two, if you can't get him with a coach who's going to help him progress and help him really kind of catch fire, especially in the red zone, he will plateau. We're seeing it with Sam Darnold right now. What we said a few weeks ago, post-Minnesota, post-New England weeks, where Pat Shermer was especially getting a lot of heat, is we said we need to see what happens in a game where the Giants aren't down by multiple scores early and where we're not seeing so many boneheaded silly decisions by Daniel Jones and so many silly turnovers. Now we now we did get those turnovers. We did definitely get those turnovers. Um but that didn't really come until I'm looking until the end of the first half with that interception yeah. where the Giants where Daniel Jones they got the ball back with less than 2 minutes to go and then it leads to a 52-yard Dallas field goal and then the fumble in the third quarter. However, the Giants had plenty of other opportunities, and you, you know you have you have to just think, you know, as a Giants fan, Dak Prescott throws that interception on the first play, and then you start off that drive and you get the ball on the Dallas Dallas Cowboy eight yard line, and you can't punch it in. You know wh- why does that it's just disgusting. tell? Why does that just tell you as a Giants fan that this game just isn't going to go? as planned from there it's it's atrocious it's atrocious and everybody talks about the the relationship between fans and management and it's management's responsibility to put a product on the field that fans want to go see spend their hard-earned money and i completely agree with that point that 
An opening first play of the game interception, get the ball on the eight yard line against the division rival at home when you could really just for the sake of morale use a win. To go not just three plays, Justin, but to have those first two plays just run right, just right up, right up the middle when we have not been able to run up the middle in weeks. Now, part of that's because Saquon is hurt. I, I completely, I Saquon is playing hurt, and I'm getting close to saying, you know what? Screw it, shut him down. At some point, someone's got to say to him, "You're not the same back right now." We appreciate. Can we analyze the hypocrisy? Can we analyze the hypocrisy in what's happening with Saquon Barkley right now in terms of how fans are approaching this? Because how many times have I been? Huh? What are you thinking? How many times have I been told on Twitter when we're analyzing Sterling Shepard, who's catching a football one week after breaking his thumb? Saquon Barkley is coming back four weeks after having a high ankle sprain when the recommendation is four weeks minimum, eight weeks maximum. I'm getting the reply on my tweets when I question these things saying, oh, you're not a doctor. I'm very aware I'm not a doctor. So tonight we see Saquon Barkley. It looks like he's not running the same. Now, David, he looked fine on that 65 yard reception, right? I would actually disagree with you. I don't think he did. Immediately after the play, he looked not just like winded because he just ran for 65 yards, but there was a no- there was a noticeable um, leisureness to his walk to the sideline. Now, David, you want to know why I can't analyze that and I can't analyze that correctly? Because breaking news, I'm not a doctor. I know that. But it doesn't take a rocket scientist and a brain surgeon to know that the way that the Giants have been managing certain guys who have been hurt, it is extremely flawed. It's extremely flawed. So now why are we only starting to question now? Now we are being reactive as fans instead of proactive. And that's what I can't stand about the mob. That's honestly what I can't stand about the mob, is that we've been here, David, we've been analyzing Pat Shermer's decision-making, his lack of situational awareness for weeks, David. We've been analyzing this for weeks, and I am learning nothing new about this football team. But instead, the mob on Twitter is acting like that this is all new. I get it, and I understand that it's frustrating. But you're pointing, I don't even know, I don't even know who and what to point to because it's all around just bad, David. It's all around just bad. To your to your doctor point, my reaction is coming from if this were a team that were, you know, if this was a was a five and five team heading into their bye week or something, I would say if the doctors say that he's not going to re-injure himself, which is essentially what when they clear someone, what you're saying is they're they're healthy enough to play without risk of re-injury. At least that that's my understanding. That's how I would operate. That's not saying the guy's going to be at 100%. The guy could be at 80, could be at 70%. Just so happens that Saquon 70% is better than a lot of guys 100. So my saying shut him down at this point is it's becoming clear that even if he break, he's, he can still break off a 65-yard play at any given moment, evidently, this team still can't capitalize on it. So if you're not running at 100% and you're not feeling great, What's the point? 
why why bother? It's the same. It's the same argument. Right. With, with and I couldn't. Right? And I couldn't agree he, with you. I couldn't he, agree with you more. But I don't want to hear fans on Twitter, especially those same fans that told me I'm not a doctor and I shouldn't be speaking on behalf of this. I do not want to hear those same fans saying, "I think we should shut shut Saquon Barkley down," because that's infuriating. That's infuriating. I want to give one. Not final point, but point on Pat Shermer. I, I started to say it before before I got into the drive chart and was talking about certain drives and how we started the game. So one of the points that we've that we've said about Pat Shermer, when the mob was talking about Shermer needs to be fired now, Nikki Snacks came on this podcast after the Patriots game and said Shermer needs to be fired, Shermer's not the guy. And I kind of had the point of, you know, if – everything is going at the same rate at which it's going right now, Shermer will certainly not be back next year. But we needed to see a football game in which the Giants weren't down by a few scores early. I might have already made this point already in the first 15 minutes, 14 minutes of this podcast already, David. I might have already made this point, but I feel like it's such an important point to make because at this point, it kind of was a wait and see. Still think it is because the Giants offensive line arguably had its worst game of the season today. In my opinion, I thought Remmers and Zeitler, which they've been pretty reliable. That right side of the line has been pretty reliable and Solder's been, on, been put on notice. I thought Zeitler was kind of put on notice today because he wasn't really coming off of double teams that well. He was falling for a few different stunts. Demarcus Lawrence absolutely owned this Giants offensive line tonight. He was a man playing amongst boys. So there obviously still are a few more scapegoats for Shermer, but particularly you look at the first half, David, and you look at how just this team was in this football game and they had every opportunity to pull away. That's where you, and you, we talked, we already talked about the lack of creativity in the red zone um, and the fact that they do one thing well, they do one thing well, bless you. you. They do one thing well, and it seems like they can't do anything else well. Um, where are you on Shermer? Get your thoughts together. Where are you on Shermer, Justin? Where am I on Shermer? It's still a wait and see, but if the season were to end tomorrow, which it does not, I'm going to say this. If the season were to end tomorrow, I, I wouldn't want him the head coach of this team. I will come out and say that. David, I want to get your thoughts on that. Um, and then I want to basically move to, uh, a tweet that I put out that has gotten a lot of engagement, and I want to move to that next. But I want to hear your thoughts on if the season were to end tomorrow, would you want Pat Shermer as your head coach? No, absolutely not. And I'm I'm very much about atmospheric things when it comes to the Giants. Let me explain. So I mentioned a couple of weeks ago how I, there were there were a stretch of two games a, a few years back in 2016, 2017 where the Giants got routed in back-to-back home games by by West Coast teams, by the Seahawks and the Rams. And I was at both games, and you could just feel, you could just feel the the utter defeat um, in the stadium. It was kind of the nail in the coffin for, for a lot of different things and a lot of different players, it felt, and coaching staff. In my eyes, this game tonight, a seemingly meaningless game at this point, and a game that, yeah, you can sit there and you can argue and say, well, I mean, 
the team was really, they were only down one possession going in, you know, in the fourth quarter. It was still a one possession game. David, we allowed 16 points through three quarters. When a team like the Cowboys hands you the ball to start the game and you manage three points. It's a miracle. Hand, hands you throughout that first quarter. It wasn't just that. You had a dropped screen pass by Tony Pollard that probably would have gone for a touchdown. You had an illegal formation. You had a missed field goal. You had a dropped snap. The Dallas Cowboys did their very best to pull a Dallas Cowboys and hand the Giants complete control of that game in the first quarter, and they did nothing with it, and that's coaching. That's not, that's not just the players aren't good enough. Partially, I get it. They are missing impact players. But when the opposing team is handing you opportunities, you don't need impact players. You just need guys to go in the right spot. You need, you need, you need to be schematically sound. And you, you need to understand your game plan and go to execute it. And they did it for two drives. And they managed nine points. The fact that they managed nine points says more to do with their lack of impact players. And the fact that they ended up giving up 37 points, has 38 points, has more to do with their lack of impact players. I understand that. But Pat Shermer, time and time again, just seems to not understand anything to do with urgency or or what an opposing coach is trying to do to him. He he it's everything is is a reaction that comes one quarter too late. And, and this team is not good enough to overcome his ineptitude. So, no. If, if the Giants' season ended tomorrow, I don't want Pat Shermer anywhere near my facility. Because the Cowboys walked in tonight and on national television showed they were able to play a shit game and win by 20. Think about that. They played about as bad a game coming out of a bye week as you can imagine, and they won by 20 points. Yes, you can scapegoat all you want. The offensive line play was poor. Saquon Barkley's not really there. He's there, but not really. The officials, which which I want to get into, I want to get into the officials. Sure. The officials, Daniel Jones turned the ball over some more. You know, you can go on and on and on. But the point is, at some point, Pat Shermer needs to take control of the team. And just put a good game plan together. And I've yet to see that. So no, he is not my head coach. First drive of the, of the second half, the Giants started on the 50. They managed nothing. Second drive, they started on the 35 after a 15-yard return by Golden Tate on a punt. They got nothing. Well, Daniel Jones Third fumbled. drive, they started on the their own 48. They managed a field goal. That was Those were all their third-quarter possessions. That is really, really solid field position throughout. Special teams was actually excellent today. Yeah, and David, the entire day, the Giants were winning and doing a fantastic job of winning the field mm-hmm, position absolutely. battle. They did a great job of that. Which is something that good teams do. Which is something that says to me, you know what? This defense... That consistently gets you know gets gets flamed on Twitter and gets flamed in the media. This defense consistently does their job. I'm sorry, they were forcing 
the Cowboys into third and long consistently, pretty consistently throughout the th- you know throughout the first three. Quarters. And if I heard Booger McFarlane and his crooked ass fingers say one more time that DeAndre Baker was the guy to target, and if I see one more person on Twitter say DeAndre Baker needs to go, he's a bust, he's the worst corner on the team, he's the worst corner in the NFL. Do me a favor and just watch last six weeks. You'll see not a lot of DeAndre Baker, and that's because nobody throws at him. That's the mark of a good corner. I heard someone say today that he's giving up 70% of his passes. Okay, because in the first two weeks, he gave up everything. He was atrocious. I said I think he was my shithead in week two. And he should have been. He was terrible. Since then, he's been excellent. He gave up plays today against a very good quarterback, against a, a very good wide receiver, and a quarterback who is playing at a pretty high level right now. But even tonight, David, you saw, I mean, I'm sorry, that that was not. That was not passing. No, no, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. Like let's let's just call it. Let's just call it point blank. That was good coverage by DeAndre Baker. You saw a few times tonight where DeAndre Baker. What the Cowboys did is they did target him. And what you saw is a few times. You know, sure he allowed big plays here and there, but when he was assigned with specifically man coverage, he, you know, he trailed this guy pretty well. He made a play on a. I it was I might have been on a third down. It was either to Gallup or Cooper. Down. It was a diving it was, play. It was Michael Gallup. It was yeah. on a second down. It was it was on, it made a nice play on Gallup and he forced an incompletion. So, you know, you're playing a very good football team in the Dallas Cowboys who have a lot of weapons, and big plays are going to happen when you're playing a good football team with a lot of good weapons. Overall, if you look at the progression on how DeAndre Baker has progressed. And his complete body of work tonight, sure, there are bad plays here and there. But, David, I will emphasize this again and again and again. The Giants' defense allowed 16 points through three quarters when the Giants turned the ball over once in the second quarter and another and another time in the third quarter. But it's just, but it's just so damn easy. Right. To blame the defense because the defense, because the way that people watch these games and the way that Booger McFarlane watches the game and the way that the media watches the game is they just see what guy was behind the guy that scored. And they just see what what group of guys were on the field when the bad thing happened. Because Daniel, we now are in love with Daniel Jones for the most part. There are some people who can't stand him because of his turnover problems. And then there are other groups that believe he can do no wrong. And Saquon Barkley is loved. And Sterling Shepard is loved, and Evan Ingram, for the most part, I think people like. So this offense really, as bad as it doesn't matter how bad they are, we'll just blame Pat Shermer, and then we'll blame the defense. But in reality, and I've been saying this literally since I believe the first like halftime in Week One, I have been saying this offense consistently, without fail. Puts the defense in terrible, terrible, terrible situations. But yes, by all means, let's let's get on the rookie corner who has played pretty damn well for most of the season, who is probably going to be a building block for you going forward. I don't want when when he when he becomes a, a solid number one corner, I don't want to hear people saying, Oh, DeAndre Baker is so good, because you were so done with DeAndre Baker eight games into his career. There are a lot of other guys on this defense that are garbage. Like Alec Ogletree, like Antoine Bethea. Who rarely get any hate, and it bugs the shit out of me. 
But Justin, don't you understand? Because Alec Ogletree shows up on the stat sheet. Oh, yeah. Alec Ogletree makes tackles. Antoine Bethea just saved his job for a year and a half with the Giants because he had a fumble recovery and a pick today. Yeehaw. That's how this team works. That's how this fan base works. The same reason why Alec Ogletree saved his job last year because he had six picks. David, I want to move to, I, I mentioned it, so we both agree that that DeAndre Baker uh, call on the pass interference was uh, was the wrong call. Especially considering right before that was the was the no call against Evan Ingram. Right, that's exactly where I want to move to. Um, but I think it's both of our points that instead of just shitting on NFL officiating, there are plenty of ways that the Giants can look in the mirror at themselves as to why this game went the way that it did instead of just pointing the finger at officiating, which at that point, I mean, how much did we just talk about the first half? We talked about the first half and those calls and those two calls on back-to-back, you know, consecutive drives, it happened in the second half. You know, so we've, we've been talking about missed opportunities the Giants had all first half of that football game when I know people are are going to just want to shit on officiating. Can I can I make one really quick a quick point about this? Yeah, go ahead. Well, it's kind of going back on Pat Shermer. Sorry, I baited you into that. Yeah, you know, so, no, it's fine. I, I don't know why he's challenging. I mean, luckily the the lost timeout didn't impact us because if it did impact us, I, I would be a lot more upset. Well, but you know why what, really, why is he challenging it, man? Why is he doing it? I agree, <laughs> and, and this is never gonna change. There, it, it, that he is going to keep challenging it. I, I'm wondering if maybe he like has a deal. This has like to be NFL. it. No, this has to be it, David. If he challenges any more after today. Hear me out. He has a deal. The NFL hates this rule so much that they are they know that their, their product's not going to get hurt. Everyone's going to keep watching. So they hate, they hate this rule. They didn't want to do it. But we pushed for it. It's our fault. Well, I mean, it's really Saints fans' faults. But... It's our fault. It's a collective fan base's fault. We, you know, you bitch and you moan about missed calls and, and, and all they're terrible and, and all. So the NFL says, okay, fine. Here, we'll give you this rule. They don't want, they didn't want to do this. It's well documented now. Everybody is saying it. the reason why they don't overturn it is because they don't want to admit they're wrong and they don't want to set a precedent that they, they're easily wrong. So, the NFL hands us this rule that now we hate. This rule will be gone probably by next season. Oh, yeah. In my opinion, I think they will quickly get rid of it. It's kind of it, it's kind of Roger Goodell saying, you know, he gave us the rope to hang ourselves with. We hung ourselves with it, and now he's taking it away from us. So I'm wondering, to put my to put my uh my my conspiracy glasses on, I think. There are two coaches in my mind that fit this bill. It's Pat Shermer and it's Mike Tomlin, who happen to be coaches for families or for for owners that are buddy buddy with Roger Goodell and are old time, you know, old time NFL families in the Roonies and the Maras. I think Roger Goodell has a working deal with with Pat Shermer and Mike Tomlin that they will continue to challenge these. Even though they're wrong, they continue. They will continue to fail. They will continue to be incorrect. This is fueling Roger Goodell's ammo for saying we're going to abolish the rule, and then he'll look like the good guy. 
because this has been so poorly poorly handled and poorly officiated. So he's using Pat Shermer and Mike Tomlin as like as the prime examples as to why this rule sucks because they're going to keep challenging it intentionally and it will never get overturned just to piss the fan bases off and then we'll demand for it to go away and it'll go away and Roger Goodell will be our lord and savior again. Oh, that I don't know about that. I don't know about that. That's my conspiracy. Maybe maybe you had some credence until you said Roger Goodell will be our lord and savior. Oh, just that last part you don't like? Just, just that last part. Yeah. That was that was bad. That was bad logic at the end. My my legitimate point here though is you know what might have, might, might help Pat Shermer not have to put himself in the, in this position to to challenge the Evan Ingram play is if he had not run that Evan Ingram curl seven times before. it. Hmm. It worked the first four times. It was beautiful. It works very well when it's in the flow of your offense. But when that is your offense, when that's your go-to play call, you notice how every time they run it, Sean Lee is not stupid. If anything, he's considered one of the smartest guys in the NFL. Eventually, Sean Lee's going to catch on to it, and he's going to little by little jump it more and more until finally he's literally tackling Evan Ingram before he gets the ball, which is a penalty. But just goes to show you how predictable that play should not that play should not be susceptible to that. But because you ran that a quarter of your offense, that linebackers are going to jump that. We're in the NFL, Pat. I don't know. I, I, oh, Justin. Oh, Justin, what are we going to do? All right. So I, I put out a tweet. We're going to cry. We're just going to cry. I put out a tweet that said, I'm going to allow everyone to respond to this tweet and rant as you please. Give me your thoughts, feelings, and emotions. Say anything your heart desires. Don't hold back. So I have a nice. 14 likes to 44 replies ratio. Love it. 44 replies is one of, I think it is honestly my most responded to tweet ever. Um, and it's it's resulted in some some good content here. So in terms of the officiating, uh, my buddy Pest the Analyst, uh, you know, I'm not mad that this team lost. I expected it, to be honest. I'm upset because the NFL clearly wants Dallas to win with this terrible officiating. So that's a thought. Did you see the reaction the Giants sideline after the Baker and Pass Interference? Yeah. It was where, hilarious. Pure chaos. Oh my God. That's my favorite. It's my favorite GIF, GIF, whatever you want to call it, um, ever. Where I don't know, I don't know who that was. Um, you had a guy with his mouth just wide open in total shock. And then James Betcher's just flipping out and coaches are holding him back. But the the look of shock. Is it also just me or is like when Pat Shermer, when Pat Shermer gets mad, it looks like he's forcing himself to be mad. He he has the patented Tom Coughlin waving your hands up like at your side perfectly. Oh, no, but Tom Coughlin, when that man got mad, that was like a tea kettle that was boiling. Oh, it, well, his face... His face was never the same post 2007. Green, yeah, Green Bay. That's very true. Yeah, his face was never the but, same. But like when Pat Shermer gets mad at like an official, you know, doesn't like the call or something, he does like that thing where he like yells and he like he kind of like pumps his fists in a bad, you know, in a bad way. And it looks like he's pushing himself to do that. It looks like he doesn't really want to. Like he's not comfortable showing that much emotion. Here's something I thought of on my Periscope stream when Pat Shermer made that challenge on the Evan Ingram call on the Evan Ingram play. He made that challenge solely out of emotion. Like, 
totally 100%. He was so pissed yes. they didn't call it. He threw that flag out of emotion, not out of logic, because he actually thought that they would overturn it. Maybe he said, okay, that was such an obvious pa- defensive pass interference, they have to overturn this one. So then he just threw it also out of spite. I kind of got the feeling when I saw him, when they were reviewing the play and he was looking at his play card, he was looking at, you know, the, the, the diner menu. Um, if you, if you, if you want to give a Ben McAdoo term to it, but when he was looking at his card and I guess he was, you know, game planning, whatever, thinking about whatever plays that he was going to call. He doesn't do that. When I, <laughs> when he was doing that, David, during the review, I'm definitely thinking to myself, he definitely is regretting <laughs> throwing that challenge. Like, immediately. <laughs> like, like, you know, you, <laughs> You know, he he almost looked like a like a kid where he was like looking down and he was like wasn't looking up or facing anybody because he knew that he made a mistake and he knew what he did was wrong. Definitely got those vibes from him. Like it's like when you said like somebody sends a tweet and immediately regrets it. Yeah, yeah. So but all right. So I want to I want to read some more some more replies that I got here. Um, my buddy Peter, who I I think is a pretty smart guy, but I don't I don't really like this take. Um, Baker had an awful, and, I, and I'm mainly reading this because instead of just hearing what we have to say, because we obviously have a different point of view from other people, I want to read what the mob has to say. And now I put the mob as a collective Giants fan community. Just because I'm calling you a part of the mob does not mean that I don't like you if you listen to this and I'm reading your tweet right now. Think of it as almost as if you're leaving a voicemail. I love you all for replying to this tweet but you may be roasted. Um, Peter, uh, Baker had an awful game. How many assignments does he have to fuck up before they bench him? I don't care if he's a rookie. He played like shit. We acknowledged that before. We don't think he played. It, we ha- At the end of the day, David, we have to. That tea kettle boiling analogy I used, it's like half. At the end yeah. of the day, David, I think we have to rewatch the game. But my takeaway from this game is that I am much more upset with Alec Ogletree and just in particular our, our linebacker play as a whole way more than I am with the secondary way way and the front four was well, the front four was yeah well yeah we and I, I that's that's another thing where I, I really want to watch the film to see how the front four attacked um the running game because this was supposed to be the week that you know the running that our run defense actually turned everything around since we had so many you know so many hog mollies on the defensive side of the ball more than we can count um now this is a good point by Jason. Jason Hunwell, this was a really this was a really good point. And in the midst of a lot of chaos, this was a very good point. And until this offensive line plays better, there's absolutely nothing any coach or coordinators can do to fix this mess. It's amazing how people do not see this. Now, I agreed that the offensive line was absolutely putrid this game, but you know, it, it's it's not a one or the other type of deal with this football team right now. Would would you would you agree with that? Absolutely, yeah. but I I do think I completely agree with you, Justin. That there are other issues, but this is really important, and I need I I cannot stress this enough. I tweeted this during the game, and I and I don't mean it totally jokingly. They are going to get Daniel Jones killed, like he's going to get hurt. And people say, well, Eli didn't get hurt. Eli, when he had this offensive line and last year's offensive line, he wasn't hanging in there. He understood. He was protecting himself. He didn't get hit. Daniel Jones is doing a, is doing what you'd want from your franchise quarterback and hanging in there. He's taking 
every shot they're giving him and he's gonna get killed dude did you see that so, did you see that hit that he took when he ran into that uh the the guy who was holding the parabolic microphone dude that was in, I'm that was in, that was insane when he got pushed out of bounds um and now the, what a parabolic microphone is i just i learned this from bob papa because they they immediately knew what it was when i was listening to that to that telecast it's that microphone where you can pick up the sounds on the field like the, right. dude that was a that was a hit and i thought that was I you know thought that was me of- I thought the parabolic microphone was definitely much more of a like expensive more heavier piece of you know not machinery but piece of I think went flying. that thing went flying I think it's plastic it's definitely not glass I thought it was like glass and heavy so at the time I'm like looking I'm lo- I'm replaying the gif and the gif right now at the hit that he took and I'm not as like concerned but that was insane whenever I see somebody go into the cameras on like a hit like that, my immediate thought goes back. Justin, do you remember years, years back? Um, it was a Thursday night game in Carolina. Um, it was like the first year Thursday night football was a thing. And the Giants won. I, I, an on roll went to make a play in the back of the end zone and went into the, went into the, uh, and, and like kind of his momentum took him into the cameras. And he like apparently gashed his knee because he hit one of the cameras and he was out for the rest of the game because he needed to get like stitches in his leg because of how badly he gashed his knee. It was the same game that um, Andre Brown had like 180 yards rushing. Oh, I, that's probably why I don't remember it because Andre Brown just stole my heart that day. Yeah, but anytime I – and I, I was, that was my immediate thought when I saw Daniel Jones go into the go into the camera. I was like, he's going he's gonna to cut his knee yeah. open. But I'm telling you, he he's taking hits and and – He's doing what you want from a franchise quarterback, and he's being he's being reckless, and reckless with his body, which I don't so much mind. I, I appreciate the fact that he's leading a two and six football team and is diving forward for first downs, getting pop, taking shots in the pocket, hanging in there to the very last second. I love you. That. Just can't fumble, but he but he's gonna he's gonna get hurt, and that that's a problem. Yeah. Uh, all right, uh, Kelly Fisher. Um... Kelly Fisher had a nice, reasonable take. I liked how he played for the most part. We are building and obviously need more playmakers. And David, that goes with your point that you said early on, how just there's a need for more playmakers. Now, you said this early on, David, and I'm mainly thinking about you're talking about how the Giants need more playmakers. Are you saying that the Giants need more playmakers? Are we talking about that this is during the offseason? Or are we talking about Sterling Shepard not being here makes that much of a difference because David injuries are going to happen. They're, they're, oh yeah, no, 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 no. I'm not. I'm. I'm not talking about Sterling Shepard. I mean, don't get me wrong. It it doesn't help because I do think he's one of their he's one of their premier playmakers. But I'm talking. I'm actually more than anything. I'm talking defensive playmakers. Oh, okay. Because I think because I offensively they've got guys who can make plays. They need offensive linemen. That that's their issue. I I'm more of the I'm, I'm in more of the boat where we need more. I mean, it depends on it depends on what the I don't even want to get into the draft. I don't even want to get in the free agency. I'm definitely of the belief that we need more Darius Slayton's around here. Where maybe you know you you take a guy who's in the middle of the draft, like Darius Slayton was a six round pick. Um, but we need more of those diamond in the rough wide receivers. I don't really want. To, I wouldn't really be interested because of the mass the massive holes elsewhere on this football team wouldn't really be interested in taking one in the first second round 
but definitely, I mean, I'm talking third, third and fourth round. I think wide receiver needs to be a premium for this team because you're just seeing guys and they just can't they're either, a they can't get open because we just don't have the guys and we don't have the 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 playmakers or b pat Shermer's offense is just that bad it is but yeah yeah i mean justin you and i talked about throughout the week how the receiver position is getting a pass even though they're not producing at all they're not they're not getting any separation golden tate had that stud catch by the way can we can we that was, acknowledge that was, that? That, was, that was sick and that's what I mean. I like. I, I think they've got they've got playmakers on the offensive side of the ball. Golden Tate is one of those guys who you know the cliche when he's covered he's open. He makes plays. He just goes get, goes and gets the ball. He knows how to. He has great body control. He knows how to win a jump ball. He knows how to high point a ball. He can make things happen. Darius Slayton has shown he can make things happen. Evan Ingram can make things happen if you can get him used correctly. Saquon Barkley, obviously. Sterling Shepard, same thing. He knows how to get open. What I'm talking about is, if you look at the defense, and this is something we talked about at nauseum over the summer, was, you know, who is, is the defensive line going to help each other? Or is, you know... Marcus Golden's production going to help Lorenzo Carter and is BJ Hill going to help Dexter Lawrence and, and by, you know, all those combinations. And what you're seeing is they need a playmaker on, on that defensive line because Marcus Golden leads the team with five and a half sacks, which is fine. You, you want that number to be higher at this point in the year, in my opinion, but he's played very, very well in my, and I, I would say Marcus Golden's probably been the most consistent player on the defense. Anytime there was a positive play on the defensive side of the ball in yep. terms of stopping Ezekiel Elliott, especially in the first half, Marcus Golden was there making the play. To my count, they had only two plays where they stopped Zeke at the line of scrimmage or behind it, and Marcus Golden was both of those tackles. But when I look at Marcus Golden, I think to myself, if you had somebody else on this defensive line who was just a stud, who was just a playmaker, a problem. Marcus Golden would be dominant because that would get Marcus Golden in so many positive situations and so many plus matchups. We've talked about you cannot block him with a tight end. You can't block him with a running back. You need to assign, you know, he is someone you need to account for on your offensive line. If if they had, if this defense could stretch the line even thinner, Marcus Golden would play the same role to the defense. And this might be sacrilegious, I don't know. But in my eyes, Marcus Golden would play the same role on the defense that OCU Minora played for a long time. They're not the exact same player. I get that. But the same role. OCU Minora was rarely, I mean, the peak of his career could do this. But he was never a guy who could just take over a game one-on-one consistently and win his matchup. Those Giants teams looked for Michael Strahan, Justin Tuck, primarily those two guys to do that, Jason Pierre-Paul to do that. Osinu Minura often reap the benefits of that. They need a guy on the other side of this defensive line. They do not have playmakers. B.J. Hill has been, in my eyes, a massive disappointment. David, you're also comparing apples and oranges because you have to remember the system of a 4-3 is relying on defensive ends to be playmakers. 
but it's it's also just a different NFL, and and it and it could not matter at the end at the end of this year. None of this may matter because if Betcher's out, which I I honestly think, honestly think he is, uh, I think there's a better chance that he's gone than Shermer. Which is disgraceful. But yes, I agree with you. He, I agree with he you. He actually, I actually have to give him credit tonight, David. He ran some very, very elaborate blitzes, bringing in effective. Corey Ballantyne, Alec Ogletree at multiple points. There was a second and seven or a second and 13 early on in the first quarter where he brought like seven guys and it forced a third and long. Now, there were a few times where he was conservative, and it really hurt the Giants' defense, where you saw where the Giants forced the Cowboys into second and long situations, and then it resulted in third and shorts, and they were able to easily convert. But there were a few times tonight where it's like, whoa, this is this is good. And it's been rare that we've seen that. It's just not really on a consistent basis. I'm telling you, David, I'm going through this whole, you know, these 44 replies that I've gotten, and people want a clean house, clean house. That's yeah. a natural reaction after a loss, especially in a, a prime time at night. Everyone's tired. They want to go to bed. Everyone's cranky. I'm cranky. That's the natural reaction is clean house. It's not happening. And I, I, I'd be interested to know. Maybe, maybe you can enlighten me, Justin. I'm not looking at it. Maybe you can enlighten me by looking at the replies. When they say clean house, what are we cleaning? Because clean house can mean a lot of things. Last year, clean house meant bench Eli. You know, this is this is Shermer. This is Shermer and Betcher. Shermer Betcher. No, no one is talking about Gettleman though. Best damn not. Because people, because a lot of people are saying that we are wasting talent. Oh, interesting. Interesting. It's so interesting how everything changes so quickly. Right. Yeah, it, it's it's crazy. It's crazy. I wonder whose talent we think we're wasting. Alec Ogletree. We're wasting yeah, his talent. Yeah, obviously. We're, de- we're definitely wasting Alec Ogletree's Nate Solder. Talent. Nate Solder. We're wasting. Oh, also, can uh, Rhett Ellison, there was one play. First of all, he also had a dropped ball in the fourth quarter when the game didn't matter. But I we were we were very much for the presence of Rhett Ellison on this football team. You and I, David, like, oh, yeah, the, the money yeah. is kind of worth it. Holy shit. Yes. He had some blocks tonight. In particular in particular one, I was about to tweet it out and then I think it was uh, something big happened. It might have been the whole 65-yard play. To, no, I don't think it was. I think this is these are two totally different drives. But when Red Ellison is out there on the football te- is out there on the football field, what he's ex- he's not expected to do much. What he's expected to do is when he's out there, it's to fucking block and if the ball's thrown to you, Four yards, five yards down the field, fucking catching a fall down. That's what you're expected to do. <laughs> and David, he was terrible in the run game tonight. Terrible. In particular, I saw multiple plays where Rhett Ellison was just standing there. Standing there. No, doesn't know where to go. Doesn't know who to pick up. It was terrible and putrid. So um that's again you know there there's there's more to it than just you know what i i know i know the mob is very very angry and they have every right to because as we said early on in this podcast if the season were to end tomorrow i do not think i would want pat Shermer as the head coach of this football team 
but the season does not end tomorrow. I am hoping that these players can turn it around, hoping this offensive line can turn it around, hoping Daniel Jones can continue to progress. And if we can see that, then the questions that we have about Shermer, it will be answered over time. That's what I'm hoping. I'm a Giants fan. That's what I'm hoping for. That is what I think you should hope for because the season does not end tomorrow. We still have uh, just a little under halfway, David. Just a little Boy. just a little under halfway. What are we, nine nine in? Seven to go. And, uh, David, believe it or not, these are, these are some winnable football games we have coming up. Well, except for I, that. I was... I was watching I was watching the Bears this weekend. Um let let me preface this by saying that the Giants that I think Giants fans right now are in no position to really be saying that anything is a lock. But coming up, David, uh the Bears are a terrible, terrible offensive team and offensive unit. We have the Jets, we have the Dolphins. We do have the Eagles twice. We do have the Packers, which is unfortunate, but we do have wins coming up, and we also have the Washington Football Club coming up. So those are, you know, you're looking at possibly four games um, that you could win, and you are looking at a position where you could possibly have more wins than you had last year. And did I mention the New York Jets? So <laughs> there are times where Pat Shermer will have an opportunity towards the second half of this season to right the wrongs, at least temporarily. Uh, and that's my final point. My final point is quick shout out on a positive note. Quick shout out to Will Hernandez for probably making Dave Gettleman the happiest he has been in like four or five weeks by just being the biggest hog molly ever. That man got under the skin of so many defenders for Dallas tonight. I'm pretty sure he forced the Cowboys into more penalty yards than the Giants actually had offensive yards in the second half. I don't think that's actually true, but I, I'm pretty sure because of like his being like a little irritant and just being this like just little piece of shit that just wouldn't go away, even though he's like the largest man on the field, I mean, whatever. I'm pretty sure because of like his antics, he forced the Cowboys into three personal fouls, which is awesome. Fuck that black that cat, really by happy. the way. Yeah, don't blame the black cat. Blame Pat Shermer. Pat Shermer is our black cat. No, I blame entirely. Pat Shermer. Pat Shermer, Pat Shermer puts on a Giants win, win, you know, windbreaker, and has and curses us. I take back everything I said in this podcast. Fuck that black cat. That black cat's the reason why we lost that game. Everything that happened wish, after that the, point. I wish the black cat. Pee, I I wish the black cat had peed on Pat Shermer's shoes. Everything that happened after that point was terrible for the Giants. So I blame that black cat. I blame Pat Shermer and and everybody. I'm I'm not I'm not well. All right. Well, um, you can continue to not be well and go to bed and have a miserable week. I will. I do. I, I've gotten very used to it. All right. So um, that's all that we have to say. Um, this was a probably a very all over the place reaction episode, but I think we did a good job of kind of keeping it cool, keeping it calm. Uh, I thought we talked a lot about the game within itself. Um, I have a feeling we might be called homers, David. Like, I have a feeling that we will be. A, no, no, no. I don't think no, so. I, I thought we were we, fair. We've been 
negative. Yeah. I'm just not gonna I'm just not gonna blame guys who don't deserve blame. Yeah. Just because this is this is something I know I know we're about to wrap up, but now we're not anymore. This is something that that, that irritates me and I and I'm I'm guilty of it. I've been guilty of it in the past. I'm gonna keep harping on the DeAndre Baker thing because he he's the shiny example of it right now. Week one and two, he was easy to say he was playing really, really poorly. So I think a lot of people just checked out on him and now have just decided that he stinks. And 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 you go they're going into the game watching his every move to find a mistake. As opposed to viewing it objectively. So when he gives up four or five catches, the you know, he he's the worst corner on the team and like the worst corner in the NFC. And I just think that's ridiculous because you're just people are just looking for opportunities to sustain their narrative. When in reality, there are a lot of other guys who maybe you love who are the problem. The amount of people who love Alec Ogletree is insane to me. Oh, and they're out there. And he is a bigger problem than DeAndre Baker is. And has nothing to do with the fact that he's a veteran and Baker's a rookie. It's because Baker has played better than him. There is no doubt. So I, 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 you know, I think we're trying, I think we're being fair. I don't think we're blaming, we're not trying to blame people who don't deserve blame. Uh, Daniel Jones, be better. I'll say. Yeah, we we need to. That's that's one of the guys that we need to talk more about on our on our second episode of the week. We need to talk more about him. Yeah, yeah, we 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 do because I feel like we we could be accused as one of the people that, and we don't. I don't want to get into it now, but I guess from this episode, we could be one of the people that we could be accused of. Oh, we just don't. We just absolve him from all of this when that when that shouldn't be true, when that shouldn't be true. All right. So, David, I do want to wrap up. I know you probably have something else to say. I'm going to cut you off. We're done. We did it. We did our duty as a Giants fan podcast. We did this episode. We didn't necessarily enjoy it, but we did it. And we want to thank you for listening. Consider leaving a five star rating on the Apple podcast app. We've gotten some nice ratings recently. And that makes me happy. And if you're listening at this point, I would love if you could do that as well, because that's the best way you can support us. Uh, Let's go, Giants. Until next week, until the next time that you hear from us, which will hopefully be this week before the pregame show, keep on bleeding blue. And David. Do your best to, to stay beautiful. Hang in there. It'll get better. Don't worry. It will get better.